Welcome to the Sports Equity Podcast. Here we talk to special guests from teams, brands, and agencies to discuss the value that sports brings to business through current trends and best practices with your host, Brett Weisbrot. Today we have a guest with us who studied at Southern Miss, has spent over 15 years in sports with a diverse background in the NBA, NHL, NCAA, racing, and now the WNBA. Never stays away from telling me how it is. Welcome Robert Miller to the show. What's going on, Brad? How are you? I'm doing great. Good to see your face. Yes, sir. So tell us initially, how did you get your start in the industry after Southern Miss? Uh, funny story. So, you know, it's, it's not a normal story. When I graduated from college, I was not planning on working in sports at all. Went down to uh, New Orleans, moved down to New Orleans from, from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, had 12 interviews trying to get in the financial district, you know, working with companies. All 12 of my interviews resulted in offers, but all those offers were unpaid internships. <laughs> so being a broke college, you know, guy out of college, couldn't do that. So started working construction. Worked construction for about nine months in New Orleans, um, and through that, met a lot of good friends. Well, I was a, my family's been Saints season ticket holders since, you know, the 80s, so we get all the perks of coming in early, and they had just introduced the New Orleans voodoo to the city of New Orleans, and so we got invited to come to a select a seat, so I took some friends over to a select a seat event. Honestly, during, you know, the, the, the select a seat event where they're showing us seats and stuff like that, the guy trying to pitch us, you know, kind of wasn't getting through. So I, I kind of broke off and like grabbed my guys and was kind of like pitching them on why we should do it, why we should get invested with it and everything like that. A sales manager for the Saints overheard it. And so took me aside and said, hey, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm working construction right now. I'm kind of looking for a career. And honestly, he was like, well, would you like to do what I do? And I was like, what do you do? And he goes, well, I sell seats, suites, all that kind of stuff. And honestly looked at him and said, you can't really make money in that, can you? And he said, I make six figures said, can I have your business card? And so the next Monday, literally uh, shot, him a, shot him a message and he got me set up through Game Face. So met Rob and Jeff Yoakum and all those guys, went out to Game Face, spent a couple weeks in Oregon, um, did really well out there and got rehired by the New Orleans Hornets from Brendan Donahue. So Brendan Donahue brought me back to New Orleans and uh, the rest is history. So That's funny, his name came up with the Hawks in another conversation this week. For our listeners, who are the Voodoo? Uh, the New Orleans Voodoo was one of the uh, inaugural Arena League football teams uh, when they came to New Orleans. So it was, uh, it was actually a, a product that went over real well the first couple of years. So, so, yeah, I was one of their first season ticket holders. It was pretty cool. And that first role that you got there with uh, Brendan, what did that role look like for you? That was inside sales. So that was, uh, that was 12500 base salary plus commission. Um, that was the year that the um, – the Hornets actually moved to the West. So we went from the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference. So that year we won 18 games. So it was a struggle. So I literally definitely came through a, uh, a rough patch to, to kind of get going. But, you know, it taught us a lot about grit. It taught us a lot about making calls and getting after it. So, um, but yeah, so my, my paycheck was literally $306 paycheck. My rent was over $600 a month. So if I didn't sell, I didn't live. So it was, uh, it trained me very well to work hard every day and get get it done and if i'm correct this was during around the same time as hurricane katrina right in 2005 how did that impact you and the whole organization well uh you know hurricane katrina hit yeah in 2005 i actually started working with the the hornets in 2004 so i I was there a year i had just gotten promoted to account executive that that year 
um, going into that year. And so when it hits in August, I actually uh, rode the storm out on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Uh, so I actually made it out of New Orleans thinking I was getting away from the storm. And actually the storm came right over us on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Wow. Um, you know, stayed on the coast for about three weeks, didn't know what was going to happen. And then got a phone call one day and said that, hey, you are moving to Oklahoma City. And so packed up all my stuff that I had left. I literally maybe had a few, you know, few bits of clothes. I mean, it wasn't much left over from the storm. Packed up everything I had, drove to Oklahoma City overnight, uh, met with everybody at six o'clock in the morning at the Ford Center, and we started tagging seats, getting ready for a select a seat. Um, Oklahoma City was, was, was waiting with open arms for us too. It was outstanding. I mean, we had a ton of deposits. We had a select a seat event for about a week. Um, literally almost sold the place completely out. Had a lot of good salespeople working with us. You know, Jamie Gouin, Jake Reed. Jake Reed's president of Sporting KC now. Dave Burke was there. He was our manager and director. Uh, Dave's doing really well at Crockett Sports right now. I mean, there was a ton of executives with that team that has really flourished and gone on to bigger and better things. Uh, and I think it's a testament to, you know, that kind of situation. You know, a lot of things that we learned in Oklahoma City was, you know, people are out there and they want sports. They want to use sports uh, to better their business, better their, you know, I mean, we created so many good situations for people to entertain clients and do big things out in Oklahoma City. It was outstanding to be a part of. And that created the way for the thunder to come into town after the fact, right? You showed proof of concept. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so some people that were associated with us early on, I mean, like, um, were associated with bringing the thunder down and all that kind of stuff. Uh, George Shin was, was really big on moving the team back to New Orleans. And so I was lucky enough to be one of those guys that went back to New Orleans with him as well. Um, which kind of opened the door for me to go from a sales executive to a managerial position, which was really cool, which is one of the reasons I went down to New Orleans and sort of kept working down there. If I'm not mistaken, during that time, you got to manage both season ticket sales staffs and group sales, group sales staffs. How was that experience as a first-time manager back in New Orleans? So I, I started off with just season tickets first, um, which was really, it was really tough because I was a selling manager. And, and you know, as well as I do, being a sell, selling manager is not easy at all. Um, so, but, you know, I was co-workers with all the staff that I was managing earlier. So that was another hurdle that I got, had to go through. But luckily my staff down there was, was, was top notch. Um, we did a lot of amazing things too. If you don't remember in 2007, you know, that was when the Hornets really took off with Chris Paul and into the playoffs. I mean, beat the Mavericks in the first round, um, you know, went seven games with the Spurs, you know, in the playoffs. And it, it was just a, it was an exciting time for New Orleans too, because you had that passion from the Saints you know, with, with New Orleans Saints coming back and then, the, you know, the Hornets coming back. I mean, both teams were performing at a very high level. You know, the city, you know, had this just this prideful, you know, New Orleans is very prideful about their city anyway. But then when you have two sports teams that are really and truly, um, you know, competing at a level where, you know, it, it, it just it something just snapped and everything just started kind of coming together. I mean, we've literally sold over 12,000, I think it was like 12,600 season tickets there throughout the course of 2007 and 2008. And once we got our season ticket number to a, a great position, I was lucky enough to take on the role of group sales manager as well. And so with the group sales manager, um, learned a lot, never really been a group sales person and actually taking that time to manage group sales has really furthered my career to have a knowledge in both sides of it. So I've managed service sales and group sales, which kind of took me to that next step with the Florida Panthers and, and really opened the door for me. So, um, you know, before we touch the Panthers, where did you see yourself later on in your career at those earlier stages? You know, you know, I, I've thought about that before. And I mean, literally I worked every day 
just to keep a job and keep what I was doing. You know, I mean, that's the mentality I've kind of had every day. Um, you always like to say that you want to be, you know, your boss, you want to be growing the next level and every, I appreciated what I was doing every single day, but I knew that I wanted to be an executive in sports one day. I knew I wanted to be in this kind of chair with a senior VP title and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't going to stop till I got there. So you move on to South Florida, a little bit of a change for you and your wife at the time, not only working for one of the best sports uh, managers in Ryan McCoy in the business, but you know, one of the most creative organizations from a group sales standpoint, how did it feel selling hockey in South Florida? It was, uh, it was, it, I, I'd never seen a hockey game before I started working there. And so I remember Ryan McCoy, you know, said, Hey, if you can sell and you have a process, you know, I want you to bring your process in. We're going to match it with our process. We're going to intertwine them and we're going to take it forward. And I tell you, Ryan McCoy, I learned so much from that guy um, over the course of time I was with the Florida Panthers. I mean, it, you, you know, as well as I do working with the Panthers, it was, it was sell or be or be gone. Like it was a it was a very very high pay high paced you know, I mean just industry. I mean you had to work every single day and you had to be on top every single day to be there. And so you had to get creative. And so that was when LeBron James told everybody he was heading down to Miami to work for the Heat. You know, so we created the LeBron James package. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but Ryan and I created the price line. So name your price. You know, kind of stuff about season tickets. So there was a lot of you know, interesting ways we did to sell tickets. And we also roped in a lot of the, the concerts that were coming through the, you know, the Bank Atlantic Center at the time. I mean, we were number one in concert venues, which you were a big part of. Um, but yeah, selling in Miami and selling in New Orleans was two totally different animals. I mean, it was, I mean, Miami was a very much a place where people wanted to be seen and, you know, you just had to hit them in the right. But once we got them in the building, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we created such a good vibe and such a good relationship with our season ticket holders down there that it, it really started to grow. And then, you know, lucky enough, around that 2011-2012 year, that's the year that we made that playoff run and actually played New Jersey. So uh, we got very lucky with that to kind of push us forward with, with hockey as well. So outside of the long-term relationships you've built from that time period of your life, what else did you enjoy most about that opportunity in South Florida? It, it was something new, you know, I worked with the same organization for a, a good run, you know, from, you know, 0304 all the way up until, you know, 910. And so just taking that, you know, next step and going to a totally new environment, a totally new culture, and being able to kind of implement some of the processes that I have and some of the, you know, just the training that I've built over the, the course of the year and kind of intertwine it with what Ryan McCoy was doing there. I think that was one of the one of the coolest experiences for me because it was it was something totally new. I mean, if you remember, you know, 90% of my staff, they were all Northeast guys or, you know, South Florida guys. And you have some guy from Mississippi coming in being a director of sales. Like it was, it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting time, but, you know, like us, you know, luckily for me, I mean, all those guys with the Panthers, they'd run through a brick wall for me and I've built some great relationships and still stay in touch with a lot of those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, there, there was just a number of guys that performed at such a high level for me, even our inside sales team um, that was run by West England. I mean, those guys performed at some of the, the highest levels you could expect, you know, for guys that are just starting in the industry and they're still going today. That's crazy. So you had an opportunity. So you move, you start back and move and make your way back north again, right? You get back out of the peninsula and you, you move up and you oversee sales for probably the best university in Florida, USF. What were some of the biggest challenges in the Tampa market? You know, honestly, I actually took a job, you know, moving to Southern Miss with IMG first. Oh, that's and, right. you know, right before, right before I started with Southern Miss, um, the athletic director that had signed the deal with IMG got let go. And the interim athletic director decided not to follow through with the contract. So 
I literally stayed in Hattiesburg from December to March, you know, and, and luckily Matt DeFebo and Mark Dyer were flying me to, to other properties. So I went to the University of Tennessee and some other places. So I got a chance to kind of see the vibe of how IMG was going. Um, you know, IMG, it, it, was, it was crazy at the time because you literally were a third party going into a college. And when you're, when you're going into a college, you know, you don't really want to go in there like, you know, with your chest stuck out, like, I know what I'm doing. And yeah, all you can't go guns blazing, right? Yeah, you want to kind of integrate yourself into, you know, the college itself because, you know, those people that work at the university, I mean, they believe that stuff. I mean, they believe it. I mean, they know the songs. They know the alma mater. I mean, they know everything. And, like, they're, they're looking at you like you don't know any of that, you know. So you had to do those little tiny things and, you know, stand up for the song, learn the alma mater and stuff like that. But I tell you, working in Tampa, you know, when I first got there, that was the year that the softball team made the World Series, you know. Okay. The soccer team was doing very well. The football team had Florida State um, coming to uh, coming to play at Raymond James. Yep. Uh, the Sun Dome was getting renovated and was going to be bigger and better. And some of the concerts, I mean, they had like Elton John and they had like just some unbelievable talent coming to that uh, building. So we were able to take all that working with ING and USF and really tie it into growing a great database uh you know of of fans and so not only were we getting you know some of the alumni fans that were in the business world you know we were also getting you know a lot of brand new people that had never thought about you know investing in usf and so i actually had a strong sales staff there i had a staff of about six guys uh and they literally you know tore through that market of tampa i mean we were going anywhere and everywhere we could to put ourselves in front of people to really grow that product and how what was it like selling college football in, the, in an nfl stadium it was, um, it, it was, you know, it actually added a flair, you know, to get to come to a place like Raymond James and actually see a game was pretty cool. Um, it was very, uh, <clears throat> it was daunting because you had such a large, you know, stadium with so many seats available and all that kind of stuff. And USF really and truly, you know, at that point, they had been number two, you know, back in the past and, and the program had kind of gone down a little bit and it was kind of bouncing back up and it was kind of in a, in a weird growth model, but the fact that Florida State came and played it, you know, at their stadium that year, we took full advantage of that. You know, to get a ticket to that Florida State game, you had to buy season tickets. And, you know, we we even worked deals out with like brokers, which I know people are not, you know, pro broker. I mean, I am, you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of very good friends that are in the third party industry out there that really helped us because they kept their pricing model to a point to where it made sense to buy season tickets from us instead of buying on you know, one game, you know, and so we were able to sell a lot of season tickets uh, to get people to go to that Florida State game. And honestly, it, it helped us throughout the year. Plus, we were able to introduce, you know, Bill McGillis allowed us to, you know, do a lot of creative things on the group side as well. So we were working with local sports teams, we were working with Boy Scouts, I mean, we were working with all kinds of people, you know, to kind of keep growing. And, and I, I think still to this day, you know, USF still doing pretty well in sales and doing doing good. Yeah, no, they're doing great. Brian's doing a great job over there. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, alumni are engaged, great time in USF. So now you transition and make your way back to what you consider the South back in Texas, right? Not South Florida. Um, leading sales for the Texas Motor Speedway. What was that opportunity like? So um, the sponsorship guy that was with USF, they actually got him from Daytona. And uh, it was a gentleman named Mark Capo. And the whole time I was talking to him, he was literally learning a lot about what we were doing on the ticket sales side. And so he made a couple calls and he's the one that actually introduced me to some people with NASCAR. And okay. honestly, um, my wife is from Texas. Uh, so when we got the call for a chance to move back to Texas, 
I think she was seven and a half, seven and a half months pregnant when we got the offer. And I walked in, I said, hey, I know you're seven and a half months pregnant, but we've got an opportunity in Texas. And she started packing. Like, she was like, let's do this, you know? So um, I had the full support of my wife, you know? Um, when I got to the Speedway, um, that is a product like no other. Um, anybody that works in the, the field of NASCAR auto racing will tell you flat out that that is one of the best in-person experiences you could ever be, you know, a part of. Uh, Texas Motor Speedway gave us a, a ton of stuff to use. I mean, they, they literally gave us a pace car. So my top rep got a pace car, but we also oh, got wow. to use the pace car to actually go out to appointments. Uh, when we'd have an appointment at, at um, the Speedway, we had all of our sales reps trained to drive pace cars. So literally we could take our clients on a pace car ride around the track, pull them into victory lane, take a picture, then take them up to the Speedway Club and have lunch. I mean, it literally was one of, I mean, it had the best benefits in the world working at a track like that. And, you know, just getting new people out to NASCAR. I mean, like NASCAR, you know, you know, before that time, they had a lot of phone room type salespeople, you know, the phone rang, they answered, how can I help you with? I mean, we were really and truly one of the first outbound to really go out and get it. And a lot of, you know, Fort Worth businesses, Dallas businesses, Oklahoma City businesses, stuff like that. I mean, it was just a kind of a surprising call that we were making outbound calls to go get it. Um, and again, you know, I kind of hang, you know, my success, you know, on, you know, the people I've worked with throughout. And again, you know, that first sales staff I brought in, you know, they knew the opportunity that was there and they hit the ground running. I mean, we had a ton of single buyer leads that literally nobody had ever called before. You know, we had a ton of past buyer leads that nobody had ever called before. So we had the, the single buyer lead list to go after, but we also had the whole city of Fort Worth to go after. And we literally, I mean, it, it was, it was a really good time to be there and we had fun with it. I mean, we, we made sure that we made the most of being there. And uh, I, I really enjoyed my time at Texas Motor Speedway for sure. Nice. So you're back in Texas. Um, mm -hmm. Leading into more current times, is there anything you would have done differently leading up to now? No. I mean, I think I think everything I've, I've kind of done and and taking on and, and really the challenges that I've taken on, I think has led me up to something like, you know, coming to the WNBA. Um, I would very much sit here and tell you the WNBA is one of the hardest products to sell in, sell in sports, but we do it very well. And the reason we do it is because, you know, you go back to those years, like in 2004, when your NBA team won 18 games in New Orleans, it wasn't an easy sell. You go back to going to the Florida Panthers when you're number 31 in revenue and, and you know, it, it's, it's a difficult sell, but you still are able to succeed. And, and there's things and processes you can put in place that we implemented here with the wings. I tell you, when I got to the wings, you know, and lucky enough to get this position, um, I noticed that the first management group really and truly focused on Dallas. We're the Dallas Wings, but we play in Arlington, Texas. Right. So we made a point to centralize and focus on Arlington, Texas. I mean, we were at prayer breakfasts. We were at chamber meetings. Like we were at, you know, new business openings. Like anything and everything that we could be a part of for the city of Arlington, we were there. And through that process, we were able to meet the right people in Arlington and get the few key accounts that have led us, you know, to so many people. I mean, I think our first, you know, our first year we did, we did decent, but the second year, I mean, we came out, we sold almost 1200 new season tickets, you know, right out the gate for WNBA season. That's pretty strong. And so we were able to build a lot of groups. I mean, I have a community guy here that, I mean, literally his community, um, you know, outreach has resulted in, you know, well into the six figures in new business each year, you know, because he knows how to grow, you know, that business. I mean, the city of Dallas, or excuse me, the Dallas Fort Worth area, 
is probably the number one area for youth female basketball. So we, we centered on that too and went after that. I mean, we, we've implemented things where we go out to high school games and we activated just the high school girls games. And so we, we take our road show. So we take our mascot, we take our street team, we're throwing you know, t-shirts in the crowd. We're trying to make these high school games more like a, a Dallas Wings game to kind of give them that experience. Cause there was a lot of, you know, youth female, youth females that play basketball here that was a huge fan of some of our players and had no idea they were playing in the Dallas market. So we play at the College Park Center, which I think is a phenomenal building for WNBA basketball. It's about 6,800 seats. I mean, we, we literally are probably like, I think we were 50, 200, 50, 300 a game before, you know, uh, COVID hit. So we had a great capacity every night. Well, we were selling it out a couple of times throughout the year. So uh, the WNBA has been a great ride. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And what are some unique experiences you've built during the game day experience for your fan base? So working in a college facility, there's been a little bit of restrictions. But, you know, luckily with the players of the WNBA, they're open to meeting their fans. You know, we're able to do autograph sessions after games. We're able to do open practices where people get to come out and see it. Um, you know, we've had our commissioners, both of them, you know, Kathy, you know, being our new commissioner with the WNBA, you know, she's, she's actually done events for us and actually flown down, come to games and actually meeted and greeted with our season ticket holders. Um, you know, there, there's been, you know, places where we can actually, you know, hold influencers and hold networking events for some of our high-end clients and things like that. So there's been a number of things that we've introduced, you know, over here at the College Park Center to our fans here that we're just going to keep growing. Um, and I tell you, you know, through this whole COVID thing, I really thought we would kind of, you know, kind of slow down. I mean, I have reps that have done some virtual events that have been just amazing to, to see what they've been able to produce doing it from home and doing it on a computer screen like this. So, And who's an ideal client for the Dallas Wings? Anybody and everybody. I tell you, you know, we, we literally um, put a big emphasis on the business to business. And so how we did that is same thing with the Panthers. We had to find, you know, the, the right clientele to go after. And so, you know, with the WNBA, the WNBA was built on women's empowerment. They, it was built on movements and, and just being progressive and, and going forward and everything like that. And there's a lot of companies that through the last couple of years have really gotten big on DNI, really gotten big on breast health awareness, really big on women's empowerment. Any company that we go to a community page and they, they tout that kind of stuff or they're, they're all about that kind of stuff, that's our ideal client. And it opens the door for some major, major companies that would have never thought about doing business with us before. Um, and so that door has been open many times to a lot of our reps and it, and it just takes the right rep. Unfortunately, our phone doesn't ring that much. There's not a lot of people calling in saying, hey, I want the WNBA. It happens sometimes. But for the most part, everything we're doing, we're doing it, you know, face to face, boots on the ground, go get it. And so you have to be, you know, the type of rep that you do your research, you do your understanding, you know, you know who you're calling, you know, I'm not really one of those managers where I want you to make 130 calls in a day. I'd rather you make 30 to 50, but they're educated. They, you know, you know exactly why you're calling this client, who you're calling about and who you're trying to reach. And so therefore you don't waste their time and you don't waste yours. So more of a cost effective option in Arlington, right? Than some of the other options, you guys kind of went to the drawing board and know it's a thriving market. The ownership groups decided to create an NLL lacrosse team now at Dickey's Arena for the 21-22 season. Where did this idea come about? So this idea floated a couple of years ago. Um, our president, Greg Bibb, literally floated it to us and said, hey, this is something we may be thinking about. And at the time, you know, lacrosse just did not register with me. I, I had no idea what lacrosse was, had never seen it. You know, the only time I'd really even seen it was in Florida 
they have all the lacrosse fields and watching some of the kids play lacrosse in Florida because it's a pretty big yeah. sport. Um, not knowing is crazy because now that we've kind of got involved with lacrosse, I mean, the market is so strong for lacrosse. It's almost like a no-brainer. Uh, not to mention, you know, we looked all around the city to kind of bring, you know, the NLL to certain parts of the city, but we found Fort Worth and, and we found the Dickies Arena. Um, the Dickies Arena is by far one of the nicest buildings I've ever been in. I mean, the attention to detail and just anything you can think of, they've thought of. I mean, from the fact of having a sensory room, one of the one of the best sensory rooms I've ever seen, you know, so you can, you know, the, the right type of clientele that needs those kind of, you know, benefits we're able to accommodate now, which is really, really unique. Um, you know, a city like Fort Worth, which is, I think, the 13th largest city in, you know, in the country, something like that, it's, it's, it's a huge city, but they don't have a professional sports team. So now we're able to bring something that's home to Fort Worth, and we're going to play it up. Like, Fort Worth, in a, Fort Worth NLL is going to be Fort Worth's own team. And I tell you, you know, starting to talk to some of the business people that run these, you know, these youth leagues and, and talking to people that's played at, you know, club teams and out of the Northeast. And I mean, that now live here in Texas. I mean, lacrosse is going to boom in this market in the next couple of years. And we're going to be a huge part of it. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of alumni, especially from the Northeast that made their way to Texas that, you know, you call on Syracuse, they know lacrosse. Yeah. And I mean, I tell you, it's, you know, just, you know, it's almost like, you know, at first you started to question it, but now that you're starting to get in the meetings and talk to them, it's, it's a no brainer. This is, this is a growing sport that's been around for a long time. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the NLL has been here for a while, but I think they have the right leadership now. I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people in place to help grow this. I've talked to nearly every team in the NLL and honestly, the people that are working in the NLL are dedicated to seeing this sport grow. And I think that's going to be a really good thing. And, uh, you know, these players, they don't make a lot of money. I mean, these players well, the play the sport for the love of the game. Things, yeah. yeah, they play for the love of the game, which, you know, that kind of attitude is just going to help us grow this thing in Fort Worth because they're going to take passion and pride in it, and we're going we're gonna to explode. We can't wait. That's exciting. Well, exciting to see that blow up next year. Thank you for taking the time today, and I definitely look forward to chatting with you soon. Absolutely. Anytime, Brett. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Sports Equity Podcast where we discuss the value that sports brings to business. Follow us for new episodes on a weekly basis. See you next time.